Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. We are in the midst of 1975, and this week we are diving into a movie that it's insane that the three of us have never talked about before. I'm scared to dive into it. It is Jaws by one Steven Spielberg. I'm your host, Mike. Greg, you're scared of diving into it. I'm scared of uh, diving into it or swimming around it. No, 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 no aquatic imagery for me today. But and I'm not afraid to talk about this movie because uh, it is a rip-roaring good time and also a very good movie. It earns its, its, its uh, distinction as, as the first great blockbuster. Wow, Greg just, car- just diving in before his p- co-panelist is either is even introduced. He's just like, I'm going to start this talking is- about the movie. I, I got to move all the time, Mike. If I stop moving, I will die. I'm a lot yeah. like one of the Shark Tank guys. He also has those cold eyes, those dead eyes, those the doll cold, eyes. dead, black doll eyes. eyes. Doll Ryan. Eyes. I am doll parts. Doll <laughs> eyes. <laughs> what if Courtney Love played Quinn? <laughs> or we like have... Johnny Cash covered Nine Inch Nails. Quinn <laughs> just covered whole albums. <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, sorry. I didn't... Here. I didn't jump in because I have actually have a glass of water in front of me, and it's You're scary. What if there's it? a goddamn shark in there? That's where That's they live. In Ryan's glasses of water? In any body of water. They, they say the average person swallows eight sharks a year <laughs> while in sleeping. Their sleep. <laughs> while sleeping. Also, stop drinking water in your sleep. Quick way to die. Uh, gentlemen, what, what, what was your experience with Jaws before preparation for this? I probably didn't have to watch it. <laughs> uh, this is, I mean, this is like a TNT, TBS, all-time classic. This is, it's on constantly. It's referenced constantly. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that, like, if you just go back through parodies and satires, you could piece the movie together. Yeah, like you could make the movie just out of, like, scenes from The Simpsons and Saturday Night Live. But so often with those, when you watch it, you go, yeah, that's, I remember those parts, and I would say this destroys those other ones where you lose so much of the heart and spirit and meat of what makes Jaws an amazing Yeah, the movie. references are just pale copies of the original. Oh, yeah. you do. I think that you do have to set it in a certain order. I think Spielberg did a good job of like not using the satires and parodies that would come eventually when he made the movie, but yes. like actually <laughs> that, that shot the original smart. and then put it in an order that made sense. But I think there's some that like are oft-referenced and then you watch the thing that's always referenced and you're like, yeah, that's like that's about what I expected. Well, like when he says, is doing it. when he says we're gonna need a bigger boat, he doesn't even fucking say that. Yeah, is this, you're gonna need a bigger boat. Yeah, and he like put, he puts the onus all on. Yeah, Quint. Don't misquote he, it, dummy. You feel like the movie's gonna do that st- that same zoom in that uses on the beach where they like bring the camera back but uh, zoom in at the same time when he before he delivers that line. We're gonna need a bigger boat, but instead he says it the most offhand. <laughs> Like, you're gonna need a bigger uh, boat. You're gonna need a bigger boat, buddy. This I'm is ve- a tiny ass boat. I'm very excited for the show, which is weird because sometimes we do movies that, like, you can't. There's nothing more to say about the movie, uh-huh. you know. And it's it's rare, but sometimes that happens. This is one of those. But the movie is so. I would put this in Casablanca on the same level of basically st- stop making movies because there was magic that happened that will never be recre- recreated, but also. Mm-hmm. Let's make so many movies because look at what they could be. And even if right. they're like half as good as this, this is this is everything movies were created for. This is this is perfection. Would you say I, there's a lot going on beneath the surface? 
Oh my! If I was the greatest tagline writer of all time, I would. <laughs> I, I think that Casablanca and this are a good comparison because they're also not movies that like the opiated masses can enjoy them as well, and there and there's a lot to chew and do. Like the, that, you can do both things at once. It's I think it's a hard balance beam to balance on, and the, the, these two yeah. do it. Also, the, the the filming of both movies were an absolute shit show. Like, uh, just falling apart nonstop, and they had to keep reworking everything. Uh, you know, and both Jaws and Casablanca, they were getting script pages the morning of shooting, and I think that's I think that sort of speaks to the magic. Not that I think that's a good strategy, right? If you but, go out to do that, you're going to be an asshole, make a bad. Yes, movie. that's not going to work. It does show in some in some ways, though. Not that, and I don't mean that as a criticism, but like I can see that this is kind of a pieced together movie in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also think that so many of even the best movies that we've seen, they set out to make the best movie, you know? Like, right. Barry Lyndon, that guy yeah. did not set out to just be like, oh, this will be frivolous and fun, and let's see what happens. I don't know. Everybody just have fun today. Uh, <laughs> and it's not that bad, you know? Like, it's it, it's okay to go out and set out to make a truly great movie, but how these were made and then what we got. I don't we don't have to talk about Casablanca. Yeah, we just can stop. Casablanca. I uh, how Jaws, how Jaws turned out to be everything that movies should be and will be. Um I just I like this this put Steven Spielberg in the Hall of Fame alone. There's so many scenes where you're just like Man, you're really good at making movies, Steven Look at Spielberg. You. Like, and usually when you notice what a filmmaker's doing, you hold it against them because you're like, right. you're supposed to be smarter than that. But there are a couple shots of this that, by when that's when they're fully realized, you're just like, hey, man, you're good at this. Mm-hmm. You know what? You're good at directing movies, and you should keep it up. Sometimes uh, le- less so. Uh, there's one point where Brody uh, figures out who his enemy is, and then glares at the ocean, and it zooms in on the ocean and dude, gl- glares right. I back. honestly like that. Shot. <laughs> it glares right. <laughs> back just like the ocean always is so if that's ryan's experience with movie greg where are you at did you also not have to rewatch this film no i i i had a little bit of, of the opposite experience in a way which is that it is so ubiquitous it, it was on tv all the time it's like it, why watch it it was the yeah exactly right. so it was the kind of movie i realized i had seen all of it in parts mm-hmm. and so it wasn't until the couple viewings i did for this episode that i really got to appreciate it because it was just something that was on and had commercials in the middle that my dad used to talk about and honestly it scared me and so i you've also lived the movie you've rode the movie you were on a tram multiple times in your life when Jaws just came up and almost attacked that tram. That's true. Although yeah, most of the times when I go to, to Universal Studios, they're like, we're uh, we're fixing the shark right now. So we're going to skip that part. And you can look in and you can just see it. And it's a half a shark in a pool. And you're like, ah, man. Art imitates art. <laughs> <laughs> Where they're just always but, fixing that shark. So as much as it was like in the cultural DNA... I, I still was not really familiar with it until yeah. this. And I, the thing that I was shocked about was like, how much is going on in this movie? Mm-hmm. A lot of times when there's like subtext, at least on some level, they, they sit on it a little bit. So you're like, oh, okay, they're doing something deep here. In Jaws, deep. it is going on. But like, if you're not into that part of it, don't worry. We're going to get back to the shark in a second. Yeah, like, we, but it's there motor. as well. It's making huge cultural statements at the same time that it is like putting kids in blenders and then having like the whole ocean turn red. Yes. Which is why you can love this movie as a kid and as an adult, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't really matter how much film school you went to. Which for me is very little. As an adult, you still understand. It's like <laughs> a hell of a day, though. You still understand like that this movie might be working on multiple levels. Yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat as Greg. We're in the Orca together. We don't need mm-hmm. a bigger boat. Uh, I saw it like once when I was like seven, and then 
bits and pieces my whole life. And even when I was like, oh, we're doing it, it's supposed to be great jerk-off motion. Like, I was like, okay, really? let's see. Yeah, I... I, I don't think you Steven's... can remember how good this this movie is. Like, Especially I think you have the to last time you were seven. It. Like, yeah. that, 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 what did I know when you I was seven years old? Seven At that old. point, I was like, the best thing Spielberg ever did and ever will do is Tiny Toon Adventures or Hook. <laughs> it's like Jaws, Dirty Dancing. Yeah, sure, movies are great. I already know. But it, it's also that like I I think I'm the least Spielberg of the three of us, and I just his misses are too big in my head and too recent and so i never got on board early enough patreon uh, listeners will know that mike just gave us a huge clue for the director's draft yeah and now craig <laughs> and i can sit on spielberg oh I, the director draft which everybody should go to our patreon to check out we're talking about great movies will come if i never see a new spielberg movie i'm right, fucking fine i saw the post asshole what about ready player two Mm, oh, even more. I should update my reference. I saw Ready Player One, asshole. Yeah. Ready Player One is was the worst trash. thing to ever happen. All right. Including 9-11. Let's go to commercial. I would watch... Let's go to commercial. I don't want to say what I was going to say. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, just dive right into Jaws's mouth. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far, and let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! In 1975... A 27-year-old named Steve broke box office history and changed the way the public goes to the movies and how studios market their movies forever. Made for less than $9 million, Jaws would be the first movie to break $235 million at the box office and create the summer blockbuster as we know it. Based on the best-selling book of the same name, Spielberg blended Hitchcockian horror, political commentary, and the terror of isolation to create a pulpy, character-driven thriller that would go on to spawn countless ripoffs and elevate Spielberg into the top tier of Hollywood. Taste bud. I ask you this. Jaws is infamous for being so scary it made viewers not want to go back in the water. But it, is it scary, though? Is it even attempting to be a horror movie? A thrilling movie? A simple action movie? Speak more on that. I, I mean, what if it didn't just invent the blockbuster by making a lot of money, but invented the blockbuster by sort of inventing the genre in that it's all of the stuff that we want for right. movies and appeals to all crowds you know so like we can't get that scary it's way more violent than i think people remember yes but uh it's still in this way where it's not a human committing the violence you know like it's not like here's somebody here's a a psychopath that is you know and is there a psychopath in in my family obviously in mine yes but uh in, (laughs) in general and then we've got these funny moments we've got these family moments we've got the suspense we've got uh all of it like all blockbusters needed to do from then on out is just sort of right. include everything. But it, it, don't, this is Greg. Wouldn't you say that it 
it very it doesn't just like combine genres I, I feel like it does a lot of shifting between them in a very like pointed way like for instance the the opening of this movie is staged as a horror movie mm-hmm. like it, it starts with there's gonna be sex you see a little bit of quasi nudity and then the naked lady gets murdered as much yeah, nudity the shark, as spielberg the shark, could handle yeah the shark punishes teens having fun the same way jason and freddie do yeah definitely and then so and th- that whole thing comes off very horror movie to start off with but then there are times in the movie later when the shark is actually attacking them where it's not staged like a horror movie, really. And it mm-hmm. could be. Where the musical cues are not horror music cues. They're more like adventure music cues. And so I, one thing I was struck by watching this movie again is how it's not always just trying to scare the shit out of you. Right. But when it does, even now, when I watched it two times basically in one week, there are still shots where just the dumb-looking shark appears. And uh-huh. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but well, that's... The, I, the- the, the not trying to scare you always makes the scares harder. The, the part where the shark, where Brody first sees the shark, only he does it and he does like a double take when it jumps out of the water. Uh-huh. Like, that's fucking hilarious. If they did do a different music and then every time they do a little success, John Williams turns down the dun dun and goes like, we're all winning today. It's super funny. When Clint goes to the, I don't know, boats, but like he's on the little dock at the end of the boat. Um, uh-huh. and Hooper is driving, and they're chasing him down. It's like, follow by hand. John Williams has turned that into a jaunty little adventure. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. I feel like everybody obviously remembers the da da But when that, it, when, like, that dread has to go away, right. what, it, what replaces it is like, we're doing it, we're going on adventure. And yet, watching it this time, that started to horrify me a little bit, too, because you realize you were watching these guys fight for their lives and they seem to have a really hard time keeping that in mind. And you don't know at this point too, that Quint has gone full on full psycho. On crazy. So like he, well, he 30 years before we met him. Yes. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but like some we have deeper thing yet. happens with him in this, right? Like yeah. he decides he is definitely, that he is definitely going to die. It's a suicide mission. And I'm going to include these other two yes. people on it. Yeah, like yeah. you can't bring other bros on your well, suicide mission. He, yeah. he doesn't like people. The fact that he's sort of bonding with both of them in different ways isn't changing his plan that he's going out. Like he killed probably and watched a lot of people who he was closer with die in the water because of sharks. Who cares that these two guys I met a day ago will die with me? <laughs> I think to like, and this does go back to what Greg said, that Spielberg is the master storyteller, maybe of all time. You know, like... If you want to talk about who's the greatest director of all time, I don't know if Spielberg gets there. And I think that's because a lot of like sentimentality and tricks and popularity that brings him down that list. But I do think that he's the master storyteller. And mm-hmm. so what we see in Jaws is just earning. I'm going to earn and earn and earn more and more throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So that when, not only in a scene with just Brody looking through a book, did I earn you to have dread, even though... Right. I'm not sure. <laughs> dun, dun, <patron>. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also when the when the monster, when the shark flops up on the boat, something that doesn't look great and a shark would probably never do, yeah. we're we're just with him. We're like, you yeah. know what, dude? You have earned every possible filmmaker point that you can do whatever you want to us. And now. does it actually make us like it more? That's what I was reflecting on this last time because it's when I was watching the movie this time, I was a little surprised at how cheesy some of it looked. But instead of being like, it reminded me a little bit of Death Race. Instead of looking cheesy and then I don't like it, 
it looks cheesy, and then I'm like, I don't know, that's cool. It, it reminds is, me yeah. of how shitty yeah. stuff used to look. But it's <laughs> and, not and the movie. It's a different kind of. There's a weight to its cheesiness versus now when things look cheesy, it's because Harry Potter's a noodle boy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's not fun. Where this is like you could actually get hurt by that shark. Like when Lucas visited set, they were fucking around and got his head stuck in the shark and then ran away. The filmmakers and producers ran away so they wouldn't get in trouble. You can't do that with noodle boys. The other thing, too, is that we're seeing the, like, we're right now in sort of the peak of this fuck the studios, let's get down and dirty and gritty. And um, I'm not, maybe those movies didn't really make the bracket, you know, like those movies are sort of on the periphery of 1975. But here we're dealing with somebody who reminds us, no, you do, like, you you are capable of being scared even though it's fake. You are capable of being thrilled right. even though you, it's not about, look, I borderline made a documentary about what it's like to be on a shark. It's about buying a ticket and you don't. You're not, Remember the magic of the movies. Yeah, you're not on a, when you go on a roller coaster. You're not like, oh, is this roller coaster pissed and it might kill us? <laughs> you're like, Wait, no, this I is do want to go on that. <laughs> this is all carefully planned out and still thrilling as fuck. Yes, and that 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 the, harkens back to the he created the blockbuster that's doing all these things. This is we say this a lot, but it, like the Marvel template wouldn't exist without Jaws. Like, and there's a, for, for that blending of all the genres. Oh yeah, although I think in the Marvel movies they like. It, you don't think of it as so absurd that the people are like cracking jokes in the middle of this. I think part uh-huh. of the part of the point of Jaws is like when you are exposed to intense danger, you start acting really weird. Your brain breaks a little. Yeah, and so <laughs> yeah. like because like they're like we see the shark, and then like they're like everyone run to your battle stations, and then Hooper goes and grabs his camera and tries to get a picture. <laughs> Quint runs in and immediately gets on the phone and starts gabbing with uh, the people back on the shore. It's like they don't they don't always handle. Right. danger correctly and one of the things they do is they joke to diffuse it but that acting that diffusing it sometimes is not in their best interest it's not helping them actually they, they oh, joke sure. and they drink like uh yeah, yeah well there's I, so much weird drinking in this movie i do think that in a lot of ways the shark saved brody from a midlife crisis you know in, mm-hmm. there, in certain ways he was sort of stoked that it was there because he was going or about to be going through something very existential and probably harm his family. Like, yeah. maybe not physically, but At like do some damage. Emotionally. There's a real shining quality to this. I mean, he goes off to a rem- remote location and he's clearly, this, this is another thing the movie does not lean on, but it, there's clearly a lot of commentary about his personal alcohol consumption mm-hmm. and the alcohol consumption of of people around him, including dudes who are hunting a shark and probably should not be fall down drunk. Yeah, you want to be... Clear-eyed, full In hearts, the can't shark lose sight the of that shark, right? Like he does at the end of that scene. You know? I mean, <laughs> the way that Hooper talks him into going on the night trip is like, no, you're drunk enough. Like, you've yeah. officially drank yeah. enough liquor. Now we can go. And I mean, I, I think, you know, that is something that is is beneath the surface and is what, like, part of what Jaws, the shark itself, is sort of standing for, which is this problem that we are not fully <laughs> aware of, but is actually claiming, and sometimes in very gory ways, people all around us but then it kind of goes away and we don't we don't deal with it we don't confront it mm-hmm. and i think one of the other things that pre- prevents this movie just to go back to genre f- for a second from being completely a horror movie is and again jaws does not lean on this in the way that some stinky horror movies do but this shark is only part of the problem like the the shark is not actually right the worst part of what's going on there's not a lot of who is the real monster like said in this movie but look at the way government is portrayed look at the way quint is portrayed and then even quint's story about the uh, uss indianapolis he he is 
quick to point out, we were delivering the atomic bomb. Mm, right. And you know what? But this story where there. I was so horrified, where you were just horrified by all these things that happened, yeah, we still delivered that fucking bomb. And it's like, wow, that the shark pales in comparison <laughs> to that. But it They should have dropped sharks. It's such a tangible yeah. thing for him to be upset about, though, right? He can hate sharks the rest of his life and not right. have to deal with the fact Look that... Inward. Yeah, he is completely traumatized by both the disaster that happened to him and the disaster that he helped... He helped cause. Yeah, yeah. cause. Boom. Well, can't not. Greg. <laughs> we have so much more to talk about just in this area, but we are out of time. We're going to take a quick break and talk about something that has nothing to do with Jaws. Mount Rushmore! As we all know, Mount Rushmore is a tiny hillock on Amity Isle dedicated to the four douchiest presidents in U.S. history. We're not here to talk about that at all. We are talking about something that's actually important and affects us all deeply. 1975 fashion. From Woo! Mountain to all the fashion of 1975. And I promise you, we are not going to bring you 74 fashion. Oh my We're god. We're not going to bring you 76 fashion. Perish no the way. This is only going to be the fashions of 75 specifically. I realized something doing these fashion Rushmores for years that are old. Um, a lot of these like a lot of uh, people will say like the 70s are back or the 90s are back. It's never for stuff that makes the Rushmore. It's always for yeah. like the smaller things on the side. But yeah. in order to make the Rushmore, in order to be so iconic to be attached to that year, you have to be fucking gross. Yeah, you just have to shit. get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it has, it, it's really, <laughs> honestly, what it is, is it's like the, it's the fashion misses of the mm-hmm. year, really. So we're going to talk about all the fashion crimes because, you know, like the, a lot of just like the floral prints of the 70s are back now because they look pretty, right? It's the uh, weird oranges and purples of the 70s that perhaps are not going to come back. But floral prints probably had, uh, you know, a, popular at some point in every single yeah, decade so yeah, timeless quality for hundreds of years since man since first flowers, went out, that really. flower's pretty <laughs> i'm gonna put it on my hair ryan what do you got i think that 75 is owned by one particular look um and usually we focus on the women because that's more They're interesting so um but dudes in their goddamn leisure suits mm-hmm. have to be discussed um it's like not it's it's the the coat and the pants match and that's typical of suits right but it's usually like it gray is. or black or tan not like you're gonna be the worst president of all time but like the the hot pink or navy like dark or uh, light navy blue these suits light navy blue which i guess were, are like denote leisure like this is how you would sit around your house watching I television think the fabric is also yeah they're like easier leisurely. to clean and stuff. they're on the way to the velour juicy velour, jumpsuits yeah. <laughs> It's because like if you pour a whole drink on them, it'll just like because it's their synthetic, it'll just beat up and just come well, off, and that's part you know, of the. You know, it's nineteen seventy five. We're all at a swingers party. You're gonna spill a drink. But I do think that part of nineteen seventy five was uh, going to work and then hitting the club right afterwards, yeah. and you don't want to stop and change. No. You want to just be that gorgeous all day long. Every time they right. cut to like a bunch of detectives in Dog Day Afternoon, all the detectives were wearing leisure suits. And that's why they all look so crazy because instead <laughs> of just wearing like nice regular suits, they all had these really loud flame retardant and <laughs> <laughs> spill a verse. I just love that like two or three piece suit is uh, something we could do every year ever. Like we could mm-hmm. always do that except for 75 leisure. We're just, yeah. this is it's a different kind leash. of suit. It's going to be the the suit made of like sweat suit material that they're coming out with now post pandemic. 
All right. That is right up there on the mountain. Inarguable. Greg, can you do it too? There is a lot that like denotes what fashion is. And one thing that these movies have already made abundantly clear is when it comes to 1975, women could wear a lot of different things, but they had to be stick fucking thin. Like I know a lot of times we, uh, you know, want women to be thin, but in 1975, they all looked emaciated, mm-hmm. dehydrated, like they're going to blow away in a second. And like almost no woman in any of these movies has any curves to speak of at all because the aesthetic was the twiggy, heroin chic, rail thin styling. And when Greg says twiggy, that's not a description word. There was a, like the most famous the model of the time is named just, just Twiggy. She was called <laughs> Twiggy, yeah. <laughs> she had a name. They were like, I'm not going to learn it. Look at you. You're Twiggy. <laughs> And I mean, it's it's called heroin chic because it's like the product of like a, a dr- like a drug addicted heroin lifestyle. because they're women and that's the women form of the yeah. word hero. Like they're <laughs> heroes. The heroes of the modeling world. So super so just super thinness. thinness. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna put that on the maybe pile. You son of a bitch. I'm just gonna put Twiggy because I don't know how to carve a mountain of that. It'll just be like an absence of oh, weight. Put the Blair Witch Project. Little <laughs> just the, stick, the, the stick man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ryan, throw Another one more. That. Uh, I am going to love on 1975 a little bit because everyone got to determine their own height. If you were a little bit too short, if you were too tall, I don't know. If yeah. Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wait, what are you doing? Walking on your knees, 75 fashion. But if you were a little too short, you could just pick the size of platform that you were going to walk on for the entire night. And this did not just go for women. This was all mm-hmm. genders were had uh, an inch or two or maybe three. And sometimes this is you don't have to put this on the mountain mic, uh, but it was see through. And that's fucking dope. You don't you're not even going to try and make it blend into the shoe. You're just going to make it clear-ass plastic, and I'm going to walk tall. Put a little if fishy people, in there, maybe. Yeah, fish, yeah. People are a little tipsy. I want them to think I'm floating four inches above the ground. I think it's cooler because that what it's like you're doing is like, well, listen, it's not about me being four inches taller. It's about having these cool heels. And so I designed them so that you'd get to appreciate how cool they look. Does it make right. me four inches taller? Yes. Yeah, also, yes. I hate to right. do it. Platforms are on there. Greg, come on, buddy. You can do this. Okay. Uh... At the time, I, I don't know of another time where this was such a popular fabric, but camel's hair. What? Everybody had to have uh, like a camel's hair jacket. Uh, it's like a specifically men. It looked like a tan jacket uh, and have like a little bit of actual like hair on it uh, called camel's hair. It was very big at the time and has not like made it out of the times. So it's like a chamois. If no, it's not a chamois, but it, it, it's it's like a uh, it's it's a heavy, thick. I don't know if it's literally there. If it's literally made hair. of camel, just a th- uh, but that that heavy tan jacket. Yeah. Uh, so this isn't like the monks of the 1800s who wore horsehair vests to no, punish themselves. No, this is like when we when we watch Three Days of the Condor, he's got a very famous camel's hair like you know beige jacket that he wears that's right on the cover, and mm-hmm. a lot of men like you know those earthy tones were so popular then I, a lot of men bought this jacket and it's like it's just like a beige kind of heavy Red. jacket i'm i'm glad you kept talking because i was gonna say no way in hell if you just said camel's hair but uh the, also the, it's not like any of us to just stop talking after the one word but because <laughs> yes hair. that, that tan jacket for fucking sure and apparently we all learned it's camel's hair 
there's a tweet going around that said what people think of the 80s and it's like somebody i know this is the 70s but it's like the 80s uh it's somebody in like bright neon workout clothes and then what the 80s actually were like and it's a picture of a uh mcdonald's ashtray that is uh-huh. just brown yeah. and the whole See point of it was brown. that people <laughs> people now do not understand how just fucking brown everything was yeah like, the neon was in defiance of all the yeah, brown. Yeah. <laughs> that was the punk rock but everything was just these earth tones and it was gross and also, also smoking at McDonald's. Yeah, gross. <laughs> like if you just wanted to go eat at McDonald's, which is already gross, there would be someone at the table next to you smoking the entire time. In 1975, I would go to a McDonald's, get a pack of cigarettes and 35 hash browns, and just enjoy my morning. It is crazy how the mid 90s were just like the 1970s because I remember visiting my nana and breathing into my water cup because the ice sort of filtered out the smoke while we're at their restaurant while I was a little kid trying to eat. Ryan. We only got one more spot on this mountain. Can you do it right now? I'm letting you know. Probably not because that's not dramatic. <laughs> okay. Well, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw up something that I had to research. That I ate earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's 35 hash browns, which you will always <laughs> throw up. Um, it's something that I did, did have to read about, but it's this... I didn't know there was a name for it. I knew that a lot of people in the 70s looked similar, but I didn't know there was a name for it. And the name is Peasant. Yeah, dude. And mm. it's just basically you look like you're in nice rags, but rags nonetheless. It's like, kind of hippie-ish. Yeah. And it, I think this is sort of like transitioning from hippie into uh, let's wear suits and do coke of the 80s, where it looks kind of nice, but really, if you actually look at it, you should be cleaning a chimney or <laughs> sweeping up for your evil stepmother. Yeah. If you imagine like a woman with long, straight brown hair and like kind of an ill-fitting top and like a flowy skirt that looks like it's stitched together from like, you know, four different pieces of fabric. It's a very 70s, very yeah. sort of like comforting look. And we look at the, like, we, we look at the print, like what are right. the colors that are on it, but we don't really typically look at the style of it. And yeah, it's it's a very different style. The flowiness, like Greg said, is, mm-hmm. is peasant-like, I guess. Yeah. To right, that's on the cover up pile. how thin you are. Gregory... Bell bottoms, wide legged pants, right at the right where your foot pops out. Boom, a flare. You get an even more uh, in case you want to put on some big shoes or something. And nobody knew what anyone's shoe situation even was sometimes because those bell bottoms could go right to the floor. Little skirts that you put on the bottom of each of your legs. Like bed I get, skirts for your ankles. Yeah. I get bell bottoms sometimes when I eat a, a bunch of seven layer burritos. I get it. Like Taco Bell and then your bottom like your butt. Yeah, my butt blows like up. It. You each get one more, make it quick. Uh, I'm going to go with headbands. Just Are you sweating? Are you not? Who gives a shit? Just throw on a fucking headband that a tennis player would wear, even if you're just like uh, doing a podcast. Especially if like you're in the background of a scene. Yeah. They're just like, hey, you guy, throw on a headband. You're not going to see five people and Pe- one of them's not Pe- wearing a headband. People need to know what year we're filming this. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly, do something that's very 1975. I'm going right. to go for mine, uh, turtlenecks. Turtlenecks were not just like something that people did to keep their necks warm in the 70s. Like if you wanted to look handsome, you and scholarly as right? a man. Yeah, you would put on a turtleneck. A lot of times you would put it under your camel hair jacket. It would be like a cream <laughs> turtleneck. And again, we're going to see this in three days of the condor because like uh, Robert Redford, that movie is like the epitome of cool and sexy. And uh, it's got that nice turtleneck so that you're not getting you're getting maybe a little peek of his neck flesh, but not too much. But that, He's a that's, gentleman. That's for 
after hours. That's for his after wife. Dark. That's for his wife. I'm so sad we're doing a Robert Redford movie and he's not like Elliot Gould or John Cazale. Like he's just a straight up handsome guy. He, That's he's not the just year for always this. handsome. Yeah, yeah, not like a potato faced weirdo. It's so funny because in Three Days of the Condor, he's supposed to just be like this bookish type, not like a real cool CIA agent. But he can't pull that off for even one half of one second. Sometimes you're just Robert Redford. Yeah, you're just born that way. Sorry, Robbie. Yeah, imagine Channing Tatum trying to play a dowdy librarian. No. Just put some glasses Not on gonna him. I'm sure it'll work. glasses and then he waves his hair <laughs> Yeah, uh, the layers, just like layers and layers were so huge yeah. uh, in the 70s and turtlenecks were definitely a part of that. Your 1975 Mount Rushmore of fashion is leisure suits, <laughs> platform of varying sizes shoes, camel's hair, and Greg. Turtlenecks representing layers. I'm surprised nobody did jumpsuits. All women were like, screw more than one piece of clothing. I'm wearing a jumpsuit in 1975, but that's okay. When we go back, it'll be to Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching Taste them Taste Buds, movies. other than the occasional distraught sheriff's wife or occasional distraught mother of a dead kid, Jaws is a manly, manly movie full of manly, manly men. But what does Spielberg bring to the conversation about masculinity? I... I- I think whether he intended to or not, like, I, I think that a lot of people give uh, a lot of credit to Spielberg for actually seeing a lot of things in this movie. And um, I'm not sure if that's true. And in fact, he has said that he did not. But <laughs> what he did was he set up this movie to be in such a way where you could write anything on it. You know, Jaws, you can just put like, oh, that's Watergate or whatever. Mm-hmm. And right. the fact that we, ha- we had Brody and then Hooper and Quint right. means on either side means that we can talk about masculinity all day, whether Spielberg wants us to or not. And he specifically does not want us to. He sent us a cease and desist that yeah, we are I have the letter in my hand. Yeah, but, it, you know, and we get a view that there are layers of masculinity, right? That Because at the topmost layer of Hooper, he appears to not be the real deal. He appears to not be a real man. He's a little effete. He's annoying. He's an intellectual. He's got curly fucking Hair. You can see this dude coming from a mile away. The other thing too for that list, Greg, is the smirk. Quince yeah, never yes. gets a smirk after you he say something. Everything's kind of funny. Oh, but oh, I love yeah. him. He's my favorite. In the end, he is shown to be. He is the real deal, though, right? Hooper is the real deal because he is tested, because he's willing to sacrifice himself, because he's willing to learn and to teach and- others. And so it's proven that really, you know, he is a paragon of masculinity, but. It's still a very traditional masculinity. Right. It's a masculinity of I have to be out there alone on the range and I have to sacrifice myself so the women don't even know what life is really like. Even- but we do get that we do get that thoughtful moment of him before he goes down in the cage where that we would never get with Quint where he like he expresses fear. Yeah. And I think that's a little I totally agree with you Craig but I think that's a little bit important of like I have no spit. Like and and yeah. then the other moment that we have with uh Hoop 2 is he's trying so right. hard to conduct an autopsy. And he's about to throw up the entire uh-huh. time. And that's just not something. Quint walks around when you come over to his house with blood-covered hands. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. And he just, like, randomly starts singing 
sea yeah. shanties. The actor that plays him is notably drunk in most of the scenes. Well, and th- that's... He, he usually says the most upsetting thing that he can think about. So like that he thinks for like somebody to overhear. So but so Hooper, it's on the surface. He's like hiding the masculinity almost. He's hiding that he knows every night. He's he a knows rich how to kid. Tie, tie. Like he teaches Brody how to do a bunch of manly things on yeah. that ship. And then Quinn is doing the opposite. Like it's the what what mask do you put up? Quinn's. I'm gonna sea chant every once in a while. I'm gonna scratch my fingernails down a chalkboard to get attention. Oh God, I hated that. Like part. he seems more put up like a facade than Hooper does. Yeah. He's the one who has to make sure that everybody thinks that he's manly, you know? And I think that's the direction that we're going is maybe these people are ridiculous. And Quint, as much as I love him, is ridiculous in all of his old school ways. But also in all of his new school, I have to make even more of a show of being Quint than I did in the past. Because what if people discover that all of the jaws that I have hanging from in my house aren't enough for them to know that I'm the manliest man in Mantown? And I think, you know, he does it, his whole personality is a result of this trauma that he's experienced. And so we see him taking it up to like 11 and 12 because he's getting more and more haunted. And like now that the closer he gets to actually engaging with this shark and the more he actually does fight it, the more he becomes like this crazy show version of himself because he's trying to hide the fact that he's like committing suicide via shark. And dragging these two dudes as if they are barrels of air along with him. In the meantime, though, Quint also has a moment where I, I think it's Brody is like freaking out and he knocks over a lantern and it the boat is about to go up on fire. And Quint looks down and then looks at Brody and says, like, can you put out that fire? Yeah, you know, like right. Quint still has that air too. The, like the of, instinctual stuff. It does yeah, feel like he, he probably had panic. Mm-hmm. Knowing that panic and self-reflection in every moment isn't necessary. Right. You got to turn that off sometimes and just do things. Just smash that radio. Well, I guess that's going too far. That one's weird. See, that's, yeah. that's the thing. But it does seem like, I think, like, he probably hadn't told that USS Indianapolis story. Like, his only friend for decades was the weird red-headed, red-hatted man who, like, doesn't talk and just follows him around. And he, I think, much to his own chagrin, starts to relate and like Brody and Hooper. Yeah. And so he opens you know he up, and then he's like, "Oh fuck, I'm gonna, I gotta die now because I opened up to these guys." Oh yeah, well, what's the point of living? Because now everybody thinks that you're a woman. Uh, <laughs> the, the t- you can tell the moment that he is opened up to them is he calls Hooper Hoop, and that's yeah. when you know that it's all together. But the other thing too, I mean, that scene, probably the most famous scene, right? Like we all remember Jaws flopping on the boat, and we all remember uh, Brody on the beach with the the Hitchcockian camera, yeah. and we all remember Brody throwing chum into the water and then Jaws pops up and he stammers backwards. But the most famous scene is getting drunk at the table. And I think that one alcohol allows manly men to do stuff that may not be manly. Like maybe take off some of their clothes a little bit. (laughs) What is two alcohol do? Look where I got poked in the bum. But they enjoy (laughs) each other's company. And then at one point while Brody is watching, his t- his angel and his devil, or whatever you want to call it, begin to literally intertwine. Yeah, their legs are wrapped around each other on the table, and now Brody cannot tell who is who. And, and meanwhile, he's like, he clearly has some like gunshot wound, mm-hmm. but he's like, you know what? They're too into each other, I'm not, so I'm not, I'm gonna not do gonna, this. And I, that's where you see that he is like, he has another ideal of masculinity, right? Which he is, he's at that point sober. And he is keeping his like trophies to himself. Wearing a turtleneck, I think. A turtleneck. Very 1975. Possibly a turtleneck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what? I had no idea that the scars from Chasing Amy scene was 
just oh, and lethal weapon four ripping yep. off this uh or homaging this but yeah so brody we it's time we must talk about him is he the ideal man because it's there is no facade uh, he doesn't try to well, shove his manliness in people's faces. He's a little vulnerable, but not and too because he can vulnerable. learn. I, I think that a big part of it is he finds out that there's a shark attack, right? Mm-hmm. And right away, his instinct is like, I believe that protect there is people. a problem here, <laughs> and I have to protect people. And part of what he does, and I think this is so cool, is he's like, I need books about sharks, and he spends the rest of the movie in his downtime reading all Grand. about sharks. Right. Uh, I don't see him reading. He looks at a lot of pictures of sharks. Well, I don't, looks, I don't even know if he can page, read. Okay? I think he got that job without even being if able to read. If a book is open, you're reading. That's my personal rule. <laughs> if the book or TikTok is open, you're reading. That counts as reading. But I think that the point of any movie ever is to not be an extreme. And so Spielberg makes that easy for us, right? He's like, yeah. uh, you know, Hooper's over here and Quint's over here and just be Brody. And that's what Brody has to learn is to take what he, he kind of goes Hooper. back and forth between them. Yeah, and you can do it all, like everything. You, as far as like not just masculinity, but like being a character, you can do. I mean, uh, Quint is to Quint, Hooper's to Hooper, but also Brody is this like being in the middle of them. Like Quint is working class, Hooper is uh, wealthy. Yeah, be in the middle, you know. Yeah. And the one thing that I picked up on this time too that I hadn't thought about before. And again, I don't, I, I, I don't think that Spielberg is trying to do this but i do think it's the case is that we are talking about the start of the end of the like the hollywood system as we knew it and we're starting about blockbusters Mm -hmm. and all of these people that spielberg came up with um de palma and scorsese and coppola they all like they wanted to go out and they wanted to make these gritty dirty movies and he seemed less sure about this and i do think that quint and hooper are is Spielberg is Brody like standing in the sand saying I am going to keep one point in the past being you know old school and rough and tumble but I am going to put one step in the future of having all the technology using all the tricks of the trade and being this rich boy and he sees himself way more as Hooper though right it feels like he doesn't we do but I don't think he does really because man, he he cast himself <laughs> as Hooper. Like the uh, he looks so much like him, and he's got the same sort but of. It's about the male fantasy. Smirk. He wants to be Quint, or at least he wants to want to be Quint. Yeah, which yes. is why Brody is well, where but, he but thinks he, he does, is. But doesn't he? But then uh, obviously, then in the movie, he deconstructs that right because he finds out that to be Quint is sure. not to be Quint; it's to be Kurtz from Heart of Darkness, right? Uh, and that yeah. you can't follow Kurtz into the ocean on his boat because he will just drag you to death like because that's that's what he wants to have but it's still respectable and it's still a thing that spielberg knows he doesn't have and wants it just yeah. it's I, I, again wants to want it in in that the, i i want to talk about the end because like quince end it always had to end like that but it, the only part that felt like false in the movie between the three of these guys is that, so hooper dives down and then just hides he just goes and hides and right? then he, he's got the scuba apparatus brody has but to see, be the one I saw to that kill it survival and it feels like oh brody had to be because he is a protagonist so of course he has to be the one to do this final thing and it just it rang false on like a narrative level and on a here's these three kinds of guys level because the hooper we've seen throughout the movie isn't a hider yeah like uh, you know he is he goes to sacrifice himself but when i when he no longer has a chance Mm -hmm. he doesn't sacrifice himself for no reason in the same way that quint like basically is like i will die by the time this fucking movie is over there's no way i'm going to live through it i just won't let it happen and that's a that's a knock on that type of masculinity it's i think it's much more manly to hide survive wait for your time come back 
produce more things for society than say, I yeah. am a moron with a hairy chest, and then just go kill yourself. It's the George Washington from the play Hamilton, dying is easy, living is harder. There's a play Hamilton? There's a play <laughs> Hamilton. Do you Did this movie invent the idea that there's no, there's nobody who's like as accomplished or as uh, like apt to handle a situation well as a New York cop? Yeah. There's very much that like diehard energy of like, well, he's a he's just your average cop from New York, so that basically makes him a hero he's a in any other context on this little island. Yeah. <laughs> and as you if you watch the movie, like uh, as the shark pops up again, he puts on his cop belt. <laughs> like, he's like i'm mm, definitely and he, it's like a, a return to you know at one point also he says to his wife like let's go home and she says you mean new york and he's like no here yeah. like you could see him really being like no i'm going to integrate my new york cop identity into this new life but i, I also think that's part of brody's existential crisis is that the manliest thing you can do in 1975 all the way up through 1988 is be a new york cop mm. yeah you know in uh die hard he is in L.A., a frou-frou town full of, you know, like, sissies. And he's going to New York cop it everywhere. Sissies, and, of course, being what we call cis people. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not... That's, I'm just, that's John McClane's right. thinking. That's not mine. Yeah. Uh, right, that's an actual quote from the movie. Doesn't he say that? That everybody's sissies? Yeah. But here, he's like, I don't have what it takes to cut it as a New York cop. I can't make a difference. I'm not strong enough. So I'm going to come to this easy life on the island. He's like... Yeah. Choosing the island life Faux is retirement. supposed to be, yeah, like basically all he has to do is kick back, but at least be in charge, at least be able to make a difference to these people. And that's still not going to work. And that's the thing that convinces him, all right, no more running. I have to, or if I'm running, I'm running into towards the ocean. I'm the running jaws. towards the shark. All right. That is all the time we have. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, something completely different. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for ryan to draw you a picture uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on Bandcamp. he's on spotify uh, soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh, you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check them out. Hey, Spuds, the rules are simple, but the game is hard. That's right. It's time for trivia. Ring in with your name once I am done the question and not before. I was going to say not after, but definitely after. After I'm done the question, (laughs) ring in with your name, and then you get a chance to go for the gold. If you fail, your opponent gets that chance. Any questions? You've done this enough times. Yeah. Any questions you think the listeners might need to hear? I think no. we're good. Okay. Question They're with first. us, Mike. What? How Greg. many Jaws sequels are there? Ryan. Ryan. There are three, Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, and Jaws 4, The Revenge. Ryan. Name one. <laughs> Greg. <laughs> Greg. Jaws 4, The Revenge. Greg. 
Good job, guys. Good job. Who was furious they got turned down for the role of Brody and refused to work with Spielberg ever? Greg. Greg. Clint Eastwood. No. Ryan. Ryan. Ryan O'Neal. <laughs> is that Barry Lyndon? It is. <laughs> no. It is uh, Charlton Heston. Wow, really? Yeah. Why did Spielberg did Mike... recover from that? Get your jaws off me, you did. dirty shark. Uh, they, they, he, Spielberg approached Heston for 1941, and Heston said, no way. Remember what I said before? <laughs> Ryan. Oh, yeah. Ryan. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. You're not getting a point for that. Why did Mike refuse to go to the ocean between ages 7 and 13? Greg. Ryan. Greg. Uh, because Huntington Beach for a long time dumped its toxic waste right into the ocean. That is a good guess, but I did not have that logic. Ryan? Teeny pee-pee. Teeny, teeny pee-pee, it, it, it's not it. Uh, I almost drowned when I was seven, and so I went never again and lived by the ocean forever. You're the Charlton Heston of drowning. Does that make Mike a pussy? Greg. Ryan. Greg. No, you're not a pussy if you, if you don't want to oppose the sea. <laughs> it was, albeit, to, uh, to be fair to the sea, I was shaking my little butt at the ocean, oh. and then a wave took me out. <laughs> Poseidon doesn't like that. That's like the grudgiest god there is. As much of itself into my throat as it could. <laughs> Question six. How recently did Spielberg talk about a prequel? Greg. Greg. Just in 2020, baby. Is that updated? That's updated information I don't have. So, I can, uh, you know what? Okay, I'll give it to Greg. What would that prequel be about? Ryan. Ryan? Jaws Babies. <laughs> Brody, Hooper, and Quint, all his children on a boat with a puppy shark. Oh, puppy shark. Greg. That's not the right answer. Greg. It would be about Jaws, the shark at the very center of Jaws. Right. It'd be about the USS Indianapolis. It'd be about a young Quinn. We already know that story, though. What a fucking awful movie. movie. I don't want to watch these dudes at eight for two hours. What's the best ride at Universal Studios? Greg. Greg. The tram ride where you get to see Jaws and the monkey and the Fast and the Furious folks. Hell yeah. Even though that part, the new part is lesser. The Fast and the Furious part? That's so awful. (laughs) Which two actors legit hated each other? Greg. Greg. Uh, the husband and wife. No. Br- yeah, okay. Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. I'm going to say Richard Dreyfus and Robert Shaw. Ryan. Uh, apparently, Robert Shaw, when it was just the two of them, would say very nice things to Richard Dreyfus about his acting and about how he liked him uh, and would like read him bits of his play he was working on. But in public, he would just scream at him and throw things and be a fucking dick. And so Dreyfus hated him. The worst part about this movie is the fact that, or the least realistic, is the fact that Quint never has some sort of like sea-going slur for homosexuals that he throws uh-huh. at Hooper. Or there's also no anti-Semitism, which is good, but it just feels like at some point somebody would have thrown that at him at least a little bit. I feel like they do with their attitude without saying it out That's loud. That's what, uh, yeah, I kept <laughs> oh, feeling rich, like, huh? well, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, like, he's like, oh, you want to sit in your city, count your money. Like, okay, time out, bro. <laughs> what are we saying here? Let's just, like, put our cards on the table, buddy. Question the ninth. What's the best thing at Universal Studios? Ryan. Ryan. Me, when I'm there, I wear short shorts that say Universal Studios on the shorts. Greg. Ryan. I hate that, Greg. You have a chance to answer? Uh, Diagon Alley. It's fucking so cool. Ugh. That's pretty cool. The right answer right. is the Waterworld show. 
That that did not survive pandemic, unfortunately. They, know, they had to cancel the water. They canceled water. <laughs> <laughs> what movie did Spielberg call the best of the Jaws ripoffs? Ryan. Ryan. Is it Piranha? Yeah, boy. He loves Piranha. Ryan. Damn. It's pretty good. Is the, is this is probably before uh, the movie The Meg came out. Because I got to assume probably. now it's The Meg. Or Deep you Blue Sea. You would think so. I was... Uh, Deep Blue Sea... My head is like a shark's fin. Is a great movie. The Meg was disappointing. It was not nearly schlocky enough. What's so funny is you could see all of these ripoffs being like generated from the movie itself. They're like, man, the smart the shark seems smart. Like, okay, that's Team Lucy. Man, the shark <laughs> seems big. That's the Meg. Oh. Okay, cool. Man, the shark, that- shark seems like it should be in space. That's Alien. <laughs> when the movie was over and uh, Hooper and Brody were climbing back up on the sea, do you think it should have sent Finn? Oh, yeah, come on, Mike. Hook him up. Right. Come yeah. on. <laughs> but no, I don't think that. Is Universal Studios underrated? Ryan. Ryan? It is the supplantation of amusement parks. You think that it's good, and then you go there, and you're like, this sucks. This is fucking bullshit. Greg. Greg? It's appropriately rated, because that's everybody's true feeling about <laughs> Universal Studios. So like, you know before you go, you're like, ah, well, it's not Disneyland. No, it's not I, Knott's Berry Farm. I always get Six excited. Flags. It's the home oh. of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> for that last bit. See, I always I'm think glad it sucks. Danny DeVito is outside the park screaming that at everyone. <laughs> hey, well, how else would they know? I always think it's going to suck, and then I go and I'm like, that was a good time. I took a nice little tram ride. It's sort always of so hot. They built it it's on like a hill. the hottest place <laughs> in California. What a lot of people don't know that I've never been there is that it's two parks, and one is two miles lower than the other yes. one. So you have to take a two-hour escalator ride just to get down to the bottom part of the park. That's the they, best ride. They also have, uh, they have like a, a part of it that is like just supposed to be a street on New York. And it's like every really bad New York character I've ever done on this show. Like someone will be hanging out their window and they'll be like, yeah, shut up down there. Hey, I'm going to make it a pasta. Give me a break. Yeah, Everyone's a always walking here. Types. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing too that happened that started when I was a kid is that uh, coming to New Universal Studios, Orlando only. Shut up. Yeah. Shut up, California. <laughs> yeah. well, there, Orlando. There's no space the there. The so we care about. Anytime they add something new, it's always like a four by four room that you can just poke <laughs> your head in and look at. That's why they're all into the 3D rides. Yeah, for sure. Because they cannot put you on any kind of ride at all. That raging bull ride where you poke your head in there, that sucks. <laughs> and just get hit. <laughs> what makes... What, mm, what is Mike's favorite sea creature? Greg. Ryan. Greg. Giant squid. No. But I said it so confidently. He did. Uh, the blobfish? No. Something close Greg. to that, though. Greg. Orca. Killer whale. No. Ryan. Ryan. The one with the fangs that just has a built-in lantern right over its head. Ooh, that lantern thing? Ryan. You yeah, like the, the, de- the deep the sea uggas? The anglerfish oh. fucking rules. I would never fucking be caught dead with the deep sea uggos. Those are the worst <laughs> animals on earth. He never has to oh, do anything when he's like, who's in there? He has his lantern already ready. <laughs> it's been years since audiences freaked out with what they call cinematic neurosis, the way they did with Jaws and The Exorcist. Are audiences these days just better and smarter? Ryan. Ryan? Yes, because we don't have a sequel to that train Ryan. movie where the train comes the, up to the screen. We make fun of that, and we're like, well, they never saw movies. People in Jaws and in The Exorcist freaked out because of what they were seeing on screen so much, they went into like shock. People back then were idiots. It's movies, you idiots. I will, I will say, though, that I bet the media like found someone who just had a seizure it was like for no reason and then pumped the shit out of it. Yeah, And like, okay, the shark does look stupid, but there are two or three times where it po- comes out of the dark water where it is scary. <laughs> 
So I understand sure. these people. Do you know what but I want to see? There's horror movies now that I'm not like. <gasps> I want to see an article about what happens when a shark watches it. Like, how does the shark oh. handle it? I can do that. <laughs> I bet. I bet Ari Aster could make a movie that caused you to have like a mental breakdown, Mike. I bet he could do it. Challenge to you, Ari Aster. See what you can do to my weak little brain. That is all the time we have for trivia. When we come back, our final question about George. Taste buds, what is it about Spielberg's movie that makes it so rewatchable all these years later, even when you know every single move that the shark makes? I would say it's some of the most like exciting shots around some rather like simple scenes i'll give you two examples one is uh when quinn is first or rather when uh brody's first talking about shutting down the beach and like the mayor tracks him down and he's on that ferry across to the island to go to go talk to the boy scouts that shot is just a conversation about you know whether or not they're going to shut down the beach but it manages to be exciting because of all the action and adventure of watching this ferry get ready to depart and cross the water and so i think like if you're making your scenes where the characters are talking about whether or not they ought to like you have administrative authority to shut down a beach and that's an exciting scene then you are gonna be fine in the shark scenes as well (laughs) yeah the the camera is cool and it's like it is like a good time for you to start noticing the camera when you get to that age of like these movies weren't just magically made but like these cameras were placed and these lights were placed but I, i i really think and we've touched on this a lot i think so far but the first 10 minutes of the movie, or even like if we skip the the hippie getting eaten, the first 10 minutes after that are so chalk-filled with information in World such building. a de- deceptive way where you <laughs> now know every single character why? in the town's motivations and why they're quirky. And I think it really speaks to Spielberg's biggest thing, which he is not interested and what the shark is capable of. And maybe it's because he was forced to, but like he is interested in what it does to the people in this world. And he's also in a very non-invasive way setting up a lot of tension. Like his kid comes in with his hand cut and he's like, I'm going to go swimming. And as yeah. the audience, we know like, oh, that's going to be dangerous. So you probably shouldn't that's, do that's that. That's chum, bro. That's chum yeah. coming out of your hand. <laughs> but it's like it's done in just a couple of seconds in that scene to establish mm-hmm. all that. We, uh, I, I think that this makes movies, we all learn the wrong lessons as we always do, you know? And I'm, I'm going to disinclude Star Wars from this. I think Star Wars learned the right lesson of, you know, we can sit here and we can describe the personalities of Luke and Leia and Han. Uh, but I think that once we get to the 90s or the 80s, we learn the wrong lessons. I, l- I think about a movie like Day After Tomorrow, which is not a good movie, but no. after watching Jaws, it's unwatchable. Because they, they do the like the simple steps of saying like, well, these characters have to have dialogue and that sucks and I hate I hate <laughs> that they have to have dialogue. But I will put it in there because I I'm not sure why that's the rule, but that's the rule. Right. Now and, you must know as a geo- geothermal scientist that- And my brother, who's been divorced two times. <laughs> and but but what we get here is we are just calm and quiet and we were we are getting to know these characters. I mean like the the act of Brody spilling the the paintbrushes in the hardware store. You know, yeah. like yeah. he was New York. He's not that cool. He like he he is bumbling. He's not super capable. Like it is. I would I would have loved to do like a rewatch of the first ten minutes with you guys and just after we now we down yeah and we watch it and just like all of the stuff that you learn in that first ten minutes is what is what Spielberg is actually caring about 
And that's what makes it rewatchable. And what's so interesting is you see him on the right path all through the beginning of that. You see that he really is a man right. of action who can move in one direct path. He's like, okay, there's a problem. I go directly to it. Okay, I can tell just by looking at this body, right. this is a shark attack. So I know exactly where to go and exactly what to do. It's until he really where this all falls apart in, in a way is that scene I, I described. Because once the mayor tracks him down on that ferry they start confusing the hell out of him and he doesn't know what to do anymore. And he's so ensnared in a system. How do you protect people? Do you protect people from the shark or do you protect people from the notion that there's a shark? How do I protect the town? Do I protect its citizens or do I protect the people that come and pay money to actually like support the town the rest Mm -hmm. of the year? And by the time all that gets in his head, he doesn't know what the fuck to do anymore. Now I'm going to pour an entire bottle of wine into one glass. Yeah, exactly. That was confusing. But up until that moment, he and the movie have been so direct and established everything we need to know like to get us there but the thing that brody knows for a fact and the thing that all movies told us up until the stupid 1970s was that follow procedure all you have to do is follow procedure and do trust in the the protocol and everything will work out okay and now we have something that has never been seen before and i'm not sure if i trust procedure i'm not sure if i trust protocol or the people that are giving orders and that fucks a guy like brody up because brody wanted to sort of be just coasting you know i don't i don't want to be like hooper or quint i don't want to make all these decisions i love this middle ground that i'm on it's funny his uneasiness he wants to listen to the mayor but he everything in him is like the mayor is fucking wrong and by the time the mayor is literally shoving citizens in not that that fact that they're on the beach enjoying it isn't enough they need to be in the water that speech of him like hey man go get in the fucking water what are you doing right here you take your family you go get in the water and the old guy is just like all right, and then does it and takes two little and kids into the water. Children. I feel like that's a misunderstanding of how a town generates income based on having an ocean. Like it's not like you go swim out and they give a dolphin twenty five bucks. Right. Once they're there and they're on the beach, they were all there, the arcade pumping quarters. You in. got them, man. Yeah. If anything, the water is actually going to cost you money because they're going to just go the out there and have fun. Water's free for them. Yeah. Well, I would always pump quarters in the water, but I do love. I do actually think, even though it seems kind of stupid, that the whole thing. This is humans to me. Uh, no one's in the water. We're going to stay out of the water. Four people went in the water. Yeah. Let's all go in yes. the water immediately. We're all waiting for that first kid to turn in the test right. before we can turn in our And that's, that's the thing, right? It's that sort of like you don't want to disturb the herd of humanity by saying mm-hmm. there might be a shark. Which is the mayor's entire thing. Yeah, because then they all go and they cling together and hang out on the shore. And then the second one person's like, I'm not afraid of the shark. That fear breaks for everybody. And the whole herd is just into the water as fast as they can, almost trampling each other to get into that water. <laughs> now, if I'm Brody... Trampling I'm- each other even harder on the way Yeah. <laughs> If I'm Brody, I'm looking at how the mayor dresses, and I'm like, no, absolutely not. Because of the little anchors? Yeah. I liked that suit. He's wearing a sports how? jacket that has this like baby blue sports jacket with little white anchors on it to remind Look, everybody this is an island town, bitch. He's not just the mayor. He's also the clown of the town. Like he, He's the mascot for everybody. How aside from like the great filmmaking, how much how much of the movie success and rewatchability rests on like the unlikely chemistry between Brody, Hoop, and Quint? Oh, I think I think that if you have because the last half is just three dudes on a boat. It's crazy that that part is an hour, and honestly, if you haven't seen it in a while, you think it's more. You know, like it's so (laughs) important, and it's so it's. The, it, it, he does such a good job of making slow parts and fast parts and slow parts and fast parts. And the slow parts are slow. We talked about this with Dog Day Afternoon, where in the last hour, right when it was ramping up, he made two 12-minute phone yeah. calls. <laughs> and how much, how, how, how much more effective that makes the ending. Uh, this has the same thing, where like the three of them, when they're finally Why? together... And it takes a while for 
Hooper to be introduced, and then Quint post chalkboard is even longer after that. But once the three of them are together, we're like, yeah, and we and we are Brody, you know, like that angle that the very famous angle of Hooper and Quint at the table is Brody's right. point of view, and we're just like, yeah, you know what? Let's pour a shot and let's get in there. Let's get drunk. And let's uh, wrap our legs around each other. Let's just wrap our legs right around each other and bring them in. Yeah, I I think that um, I think that when we are in the position of Brody and viewing them, they like have, they occupy that annoying yet like lovable quality that they have. And I the, something I forgot about this movie is that it is like two different sections. Mm. Like I I feel like in way in way more ways than most movies are where the beginning of it is like the town encounter and figuring out how to handle the shark while in town but they set out to sea and it's almost like a completely different chapter mm-hmm. of the entire movie opens that reminds me a lot more of a book than of most yeah. movies and yet i don't know it's not it's not jarring right it's not like a major strike right. against it that it, it has those two distinct sections i don't think so what i what i do think is that when i'm watching it i'm when the movie first starts, I'm like, when are we going to get to seeing that orca sail out to sea? You know, yeah. like there's that shot of it going. And then we just know we're in that different movie. Yeah, we're in it now, man. <laughs> and I'm waiting for it, but then cannot believe how great the first hour is as well. You know, yeah. like the second hour is obviously great. The first hour is uh, more technically sound and it just... I kind of feel like the first hour is the better part of the movie, honestly. Like I, I it's more kind of fun in a way to watch them go be shark hunters. But like the view of 1975 of society of what mm-hmm. like people are really up to and how messed up and interesting it is, that's all really so much more the, the beginning of the movie and the greatest Law and Order episode of all time. Like dun, dun. We, we got it <laughs> wrong. Oh, okay, now but we got it wrong. You know, and it wrong. just keeps happening. It, it's interesting if they if Jaws had never been made and somebody tried to make it today, or if they God forbid remade it. There, so much of that back half would be intercut with like here's the mayor doing something else diabolical or here's checking in on uh not hoop uh brody's wife it would be a disney plus show that we were supposed to watch before the movie came out (laughs) (laughs) get the background story i want speed round sorry greg no we can't never know speed round Jaws has been declared the best movie about the COVID-19 pandemic. Has the effectiveness of the movie changed since quarantine began? I don't think that the mayor was ever as hateable until the last two years. I really do think that there's... He's not... I mean, like he's still the obvious villain of the movie because he makes decisions as opposed to Jaws, who doesn't really. But it was never like, you fucking son of a bitch. Until (laughs) the last two years. Or we just didn't realize. I didn't realize. What if in trying to save people's lives... We accidentally lost a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if we didn't maximize profitability for this year just because millions of people around the world were dying? And I love the town hall meeting where you could just hear, you can't see who says it, but in the background, you could just hear somebody being like, but my money. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this is another movie of 75 that has just great crowd chatter. Just anytime they open up to a crowd, there's always someone like, well, who's walking up now? What's going on? I'm going to look into it. I hope it was like Dog Day Afternoon where they just let real people into the meeting and just say whatever you want, real people. There's a shark. Has the iconic score instrumental to the film's success? Hold for laughter. Instrumental. (laughs) Had all been ruined by its pop culture ubiquity. No, I like the, the the greatest way to save money that Spielberg ever came up with was, Oh, we'll just put the camera on the front of the shark. (laughs) We'll make it. It's POV. And then we don't have to show the shark. And that music is fucking dreadful. 
And I, I think we, uh, what I think really saves the score is you forget all the lightheartedness yes. that's yeah. in the other parts of it. And I just right. think that this movie would be dreadful if the score was very heavy when it was, mm-hmm. when the movie was like, when the characters were realizing like, oh, we might be screwed here. If the music was really like on top of you in the same way that the, that the Jaws music can be. But instead the music is, they're like, we might all die. And it's like, bah, 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 bah. And that keeps the movie like in the fun zone. Yeah, I will say that uh, much like all of Hollywood learned the wrong lessons from Jaws, so did John Williams. I think that he (laughs) also started to fucking go off on, you know, like he could have been like a sort of Bernard Herrmann, I'm just going to put music where it's necessary. And right. I think this movie took him into a different direction. And I mean, loud always. The and but, and think about like one of the lessons he could have learned was okay, but like think of the negative space created by silence because this movie utilizes silence like a fucking weapon. When it is really quiet, at first you're like, oh, this is peaceful, and then you're like, no, I'm freaked out. Yeah. And the quiet is in the beginning right. of the movie, but it also comes back in the end. That the shark attack, they didn't make the shark make any noise, which it wouldn't obviously. So that's realistic. I'm a shark. <laughs> Rawr! Here I come. Uh, <laughs> chomp, chomp, chomp. I love this boat. Uh, but instead. Oh, the whole point was that he loved the boat. Yeah, he, he loved it too much. The boat. He just hunted he down where love. he is. Have <laughs> you ever seen an aquarium? It's always got a little shipwreck in there. They love those things. Be my little shipwreck. Yeah. Be my little shipwreck. But the silence pops up again in that scene where the shark is chomping on the boat, and you can hardly hear anything really. And that is powerful when you've got a lot of like tippity in the other places or the other thing where we can hear the boat breaking because the camera moves to other parts of the boat where the drunk three are not and that's fucking freaky and that's sans john williams did this ever make you scared to go back in the water i i think that we're too young i don't know uh, you know, like, I don't think it's too savvy. It has never made me too right. scared to go into the water. But I have to tell you, I was uh, snorkeling uh, like once in, around Maui. And uh, I would just keep looking like you, you have this coral reef and that's kind of what you're looking at. But then when you're doing that, your back is just to the deep ocean. <laughs> and you keep turning around being like, you know, it gets dark so quick out there. <laughs> and like if something came out of that dark, it would be on me before I would probably <laughs> even have a chance to turn around. And that's when Jaws comes back to you. That's, that's when you that's remember. That's what it knows. <laughs> yeah. uh, I learned from Richard Dreyfus too, if I do get attacked, just drop the single most important thing to the situation and then <laughs> Jaws will follow that and, and I will be fine. somewhere in the ocean to hide. He, that, <laughs> his thing of like, and maybe he knows the ocean better than me. He's an oceanographer, but he really does find a straight up corner of the ocean. And they don't, they, don't, <laughs> they just don't like show. He goes behind, he's like, yeah, like, I disappear forever. I want to see the Disney Plus episode where he just goes and finds a place in the ocean he to goes, hide. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it, gentlemen. There's three of them. There's three of us. Which character are we? Aren't we just three Hoopers? <laughs> no, I guess Ryan could be Quint, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I would say that I'm uh, Brody, the middleman, and Hooper, the smart one. But <laughs> as someone who only drinks and screams random things at you guys, I could take Quint. Right. And I guess I got to go with yours, the shark. I think that I'm probably... I've Greg got the is cold. 100% the Hooper. I've don't listen the- to him. <laughs> Do not listen yeah, to him. I am the hoopiest <laughs> Hooper that ever existed. In fact, Whoop. Hooper exists as a character for people like me, uh-huh. who is like very... I'm no, a hero too. Actually is soft, actually is a feat, right? To look at and be like, well, you know, under all that though, is a real tough guy. And it's just, if it got exposed, would definitely be there. Okay, some of that's true. Uh, Mike <laughs> is clearly the Brody because he's like, I have to go accomplish something. 
I guess I'm going to call these two again. I don't know why I keep calling <laughs> I, I them. I think it might hinder they me. Haven't See, I like that better. I was going to say my penchant for annoying patterns makes me, unfortunately, the mayor and how I shove old men into the sea. But <laughs> I'll t- I'd rather do Brody. The shark wouldn't work, so Spielberg couldn't show it very much, which made the movie scary, and the shark was called Bruce. Did you know that? Ryan, <laughs> yes. What is this movie trying to say about the divide between big city types and beach towny types? I think that it, it that you can never, ever, ever be accepted by a small town if you come from New York City. That really chaps my high, Greg. Yeah, like there's like literally, his wife goes, "What can I do to be a part to really be a part of this community?" And she's like, "Nothing ever. You come from somewhere else." I, I like the the only thing that there's more of than tourists is chum. And that's what they are. It's just bringing that to the water. Yeah, I mean, they like the, the and they even, all look so stupid. They're all like, even without a shark, right? This town consumes yeah. the people that mm-hmm. come to it. This is how they eat. Right. And I, I don't think the mayor is unaware of that. I think he might be doing all of this on purpose. Stupid mayor. What if what if there was a sequel about how the mayor like lured the shark here from somewhere else? <laughs> I recommend you shut the. That is all the time we have for the speed round. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, it's award season. Taste Buds, can you believe that Jaws was nominated for four Academy Awards and won three of those four? That's like the most heralded movie we've ever done. <laughs> I know. Oh, no, we did American say, Beauty a long time ago. Oh, yeah, but that was, you know. <laughs> I say not enough awards, no. so we're going to give it to you more. Ryan, starting with you, time you rooted for the shark the hardest. Okay, so I was thinking about times where I saw the shark and wanted him or her to do more, but then I realized there was a time where the shark should have been in there. And the fact that Spielberg's first three victims are a hippie woman denoting the end of the 60s, which was obviously on purpose by him, and a child and a puppy, and then we get to watch all of those Bud Light monster-fueled morons go (laughs) drive and like throw grenades at each other. They basically did that the boating for Trump thing where there yeah. there was enough water for all of them, but they boated so intensely right next to each other. They started like sh- drowning each other in the remake. How many of those boats have MAGA flags flying? Oh yeah. Of all of them, man. It's, it's so all weird because it's 25 boats and they're just all sticking together. If Jaws came then and did more then, and uh, I could root for Jaws to eat all them. I do think that Brody would be like, Island's good. Island is now good. And <laughs> we, we should done. move on. Greg. For me, uh, hearing that it might be two or three thousand years old, like uh, people are so important, obviously, right? They're like the best thing we got is folks. But man, when I hear like a tree is like nine thousand years old or a shark is like three thousand years old, I'm kind of like, that's so many years though. I don't know. So hearing the shark is real old, I'm like, man, I don't know. He's just a grump. Can we talk about Greg's <laughs> forest horror movie where the three thousand year old tree just keeps <laughs> killing children? <laughs> Things you always forgot about Jaws, Greg. Uh, I think the thing I legitimately forget is that it's not that it is either cheesy or scary, but that it is, by turns, extremely cheesy and scary. <laughs> when uh, that like head, Pizza Hut. when that head pops out, when he, when Richard Dreyfus is looking at the hole in the boat, it is an obvious mannequin yeah. head that pops out, and it scares you and looks so stupid at the same time, and that's Jaws. Ryan. The thing I always forget, it, there's actually a lot of these. I, I always forget the two guys on the dock. I always forget yes. that, that happens because that happens in the first hour and it's two people you don't care about. Um, but the dock gets taken away because motherfucking, of course it does. And then when the dock comes back, 
That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> they get chased back to shore by the dock. Killer dock. Um, Both of those are great. But for but me, like I'm it. sorry. For me, oh, uh, I thought that was the it. actual winner is um, the accents at the beginning. There's a bit about accents, but still in the first 10 minutes, they really do seem to work on their New York versus uh, <laughs> Islander accents. And then that is completely dropped. I'll just They're stop like, then because Greg collect. got the point, I guess. They just Kevin Costner away. <laughs> Yeah, Greg. Greg takes that one because he didn't try to do two. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't do his throwaway one such detail that I thought that was it. Cringe, Ryan. Uh, my my cringiest moment is I actually think a benefit of the movie. I think that all of Spielberg's film knowledge is coming into play here, and so I do think that he's making the audience cringe more than him. But I'm going to say this anyway. Um, that uh, o- overweight woman goes out to the water. And the way that the camera shoots her, we all know that she is going to be the victim. Like, we are sort of, isn't it crazy that with all of these hot people on the beach, with all these hot people that have already died because of the shark, um, the way that it shoots it is like, she's going to be next. And what's, what actually happens is it's a child. And I think that the, the camera lingers on her a, a little longer than it should and is sort yeah. of making... There's, as a, as a fat person, whenever you see a fellow fat person in a movie, you're like, oh, this person's about to take a tumble. <laughs> yeah. Or because it's like, it's, here's a real low stakes way to have violence happen to what we agree is a person, but like a lesser <laughs> kind of person. So right. it's not that bad because they're probably like stinky and dumb. At the very least, they're going to break their tooth on a sandwich or something uh-huh. is going to happen. Like, you know, <laughs> at, like the only thing they don't do is like have the tuba go like. Wah, 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 yeah, wah. that's what I thought. I thought John Williams, Williams was going to bring the tuba in. in. There's another thing that's like that, like the old man with his shirt off. It's supposed to be like, look at this old guy's chest. Oh, uh, a little saggy titties yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And I'm so fucking sick of that. I'm so tired of being shown an old person's body that's just at age naturally, and I'm supposed to be horrified. Fuck that, dude. As I want to look at like I want I want my tits to look like that guy's tits look when I'm his age. I'm as so owners lucky. of old people's bodies, yes, that is rough for us. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that guy's like probably ten years older than I am. Greg. Uh, there's so much that is legitimately cringy, but um, I'm just gonna say the nails on the chalkboard. That is a thing for me, and it takes so long, and it literally caused me to cringe. And I was like wearing earphones, like I'm wearing now, and I literally stood up out of my chair and knocked them off my head. <laughs> I'm not okay with that, and it made the movie. This is such a Spielberg thing to do. He's a little boy in a lot of ways. He also wants to gross you out and horrify you and show yeah. you mangled bodies. And but the the nails on the chalkboard that was a little bit much for me. It's just the quintiest. Quint yes. thing to ever happen. <laughs> he could have just been like, <clears throat> Quint himself, it may be a little cringy. There's a point where uh, the camera is on Brody and his wife, but in the background, Quint is on the boat loading, and he becomes like this Disneyland animatronic, just shouting <laughs> racist, sexist yeah, stuff. Yeah, really sexist. And no one is saying, even talking to him. Like, he just does it. He and the wife looks all that. horrified. He didn't know the camera was on him. That's the last we ever see of the wife, and she looks horrified and basically runs away. And so it's like, yeah, like it's like a little mini assault. <laughs> Actor Greg. I'm going with Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, this guy is like banging on all cylinders in this movie. Uh, is supposed to be annoying, is legit annoying, and yet you you like him. I really feel Root like you, you go yeah. all the way to... to to loving him by the end and for me personally like seeing that guy be confirmed as a man it always makes me feel good because I, I hope there's a chance for me to one day do something manly and i think he said the ultimate thing that you cannot say as a character in a 1975 movie i'm rich like or dreyfus mm-hmm. <laughs> that was i think a little break of the fourth one <laughs> when he looked right at the camera and said i'm richard dreyfus <laughs> <Richard Dreyfuss>. um <laughs> 
But no, uh, in the in the old like 1970s blank is our blank. This movie made me think that 1970s Richard Dreyfus is our Paul Rudd. Like he sort of has that like boyish charm, that smirk, that like uh, I, I can get away with anything. But uh, you want to hit him. But you do want to punch him in the mouth. Yeah. Paul Rudd. That's true. No, because you'll you'll crack the beauty. I I have to go with Robert Shaw. I it's. It's not. It's a nonstop delight. Whether he is ruining the movie or making the movie better, he's just making the movie better. The movie is making adjustments to him all the time. <laughs> That's. I agree, but I think pound for pound, what we consider, I, I need to somehow have a pop filter scale, and and it's got to go to the drive. Unbelievable, the, the Shaw. unbelievable. This podcast is now being booted off the internet. Not only unbelievable, crumb believable. You can't believe oh. Ryan, director's signature moment. This one is insane because, like, so far in our bonus episodes, we've done Death Race 2000 and Day of the Locust. Where it's like, what? I don't know this director. So uh, I'm, I'm sort yeah. of, like, in the dark here. <laughs> that's me every, that's yeah. me every week. But, yeah, that's what it's like for you now. But this is the creation <laughs> of an entire toolbox. So I don't even, like, it's the opposite problem. I don't know where to go. But I think I figured it out. In the nighttime scene, another mostly forgotten scene, uh, in the nighttime boat investigation, we get it all. And I think the big one is that the uh, Brody and Hoop's boat stops and the uh, destroyed boat is in the foreground. Such a great shot. Yeah. And we just get light and fog and it looks mm-hmm. fantasy, but it's not. And that's yeah. his whole thing is that this looks magic, but it's not. But it looks like it, but it's not. John Williams is definitely a part of this. He tried right? to light all of AI that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have the like, you know, like anytime anybody in a Spielberg yeah. movie has a realization, <laughs> John Williams sweeps in on a rope and goes, they might not know. <laughs> uh, Thinking and, going on. And then we have the, uh, we have the creation of a uh, set piece that should not have been there. You know, like Richard Dreyfus, if we think about it, probably should not have gone into the deep, dark waters at right. nighttime. Even Brody was like, you don't need to I be mean, okay. I mean, you know what water. did this to this boat. It's the fucking shark that yeah. we've been the talking about. The shark that's all around yeah. who you and said feeds it night, motherfucker. What if we got to look? We got to look. And Richard Dreyfus <laughs> is uh, worried about Brody. He's like, but don't touch any equipment. You're the dangerous one here. I'm just going to dive in the yeah. water. And then, of course, we get a, a ton of suspense, a ton of John Williams, and then the head pops out. And I think that it's impossible for Spielberg to not do the classic... Oh my God, there's a body. It's not the shark, which we all thought. Shark never makes an appearance. The head pops out. It's a very fake head. This is Spielberg suspense filmmaking. This is why movies rule. Do you feel like the shark kind of big time them at all by not appearing in that scene? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's back in its he trailer. You can't even afford me. <laughs> Greg, what do we got? Um, th- there's so many shots that I love in this. And I talked about one, the Boy Scout, the ferry island over to the Boy Scouts. But the other one is uh, they are once again saying to the mayor, we got we to gotta shut down the beach, dog. It, it, seems, it appears that we got the wrong shark. Uh, and they're walking along like this bluff. And then suddenly they walk right into the perfect shot that the whole thing has been setting up, which is of the billboard in the background. And you see the graffito tagging. And you see the... And then it's referenced. And it's like the way in which that shot just seemed like you were just moving with them on a walk. And then suddenly you get into this hyper-composed shot that then actually becomes part of like the action, part of what they're talking about and reinforces what they're talking about. So it's in no way like superfluous. Uh, that was just... Are one of the times in which I was like, damn, man, you're making the hell out of this movie. <laughs> well, that is a great shot in that movie. But as Ryan said, Spielberg loves 
to do fantasy, not fantasy, fantasy, not fantasy. It's going to Ryan. Those are your awards. Much better than the Oscars it won. Recommendations. The last chance for points. If you like Jaws, what do you think they'll like, Greg? If you like Jaws, I think you'll love Jaws 2. <laughs> Jaws 2. The Meg. Because the Meg uh, features one thing that Jaws does not feature, which is a much bigger shark. Uh, a realistic shark. Let's face it. Jaws is pretty big, but I think, honestly, when Hooper says he's 20 feet, that's a scientist. And then when Quint says he's 25 feet, that's a fisherman. That's so a So you've got to go with the scientist. The Meg, mm-hmm. I think its mouth is 20 feet. The Meg could yeah. swallow this shark. So uh, check it out. Is it a better movie? Yes. Is the bag about Megan Kelly? Yeah, I have seen underwater. That. <laughs> Ryan, what do you got? <laughs> okay, so I I picked a movie that I don't think has a shark, but you know what? It probably does. Uh, it's from 2012, and it's called Contiki, and it is. I mean, with shark. Yeah. Christ. <laughs> 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 it means with torch, which is how you should go to every party. Not uh, anymore, Ryan. Not anymore. <laughs> Um, what what is it what is it about? it's a movie <laughs> it's a movie about a guy who uh, uh had this theory about how polyponesian people had made it from one point to the other even though that it's impossible for them to sail that far 2400 miles uh-huh. i think it was and so he built a boat like they would have and then sold it or sailed it in order to make that distance and there's a couple of things that reminds me of this movie one every time they're on the goddamn orca i am fucking it's it's cringier to me than any part with the shark that boat is a piece of shit. And I do not know how you would go out into the goddamn ocean on that boat. It's all falling apart even when... It's Quint, man. It's Quint himself. Even when Quint is not raging and forcing it to blow black smoke everywhere. That boat is falling apart. And so is this one. But also, I do think the movie has a little bit of Spielberg magic in that this is a true story. And we could tell it as grindy and gritty as possible. But we're going to make it a little bit of a fairy tale and have you not think about that. You know, mm-hmm. like we're going to make you think that it's grindy and grimy and gritty, but it is going to be fairy tale esque to you. So this would be better to see even than Moana. Well, I mean, nothing's better than Moana. Yeah. Ryan. Both for your recommendation and because nothing's better than Moana. Gentlemen, it's time where I have to declare best friend. And this is hard because I love you both so, so dearly. Ryan, you got 30 points. And I know you're going to be upset because you always think you need more points than that. Greg, you got 28 points. Aww. It was a close race. But Ryan, it's hard to beat Ryan when the Spielberg's there. I but think. I almost did, which I consider a form of winning because I'm a loser. <laughs> I, th- I thought I got absolutely <laughs> rocked on that one. Greg, thank you so much for that, a really fun show. That It was so fun to yeah, talk thank about, you both. Jaws. Yeah, I'm talking to Greg right now, Mike. The oh, just a little okay. competitor to competitor. Greg. Greg got 29 points, it looks like. Oh, so close. No, keep talking to Greg. No. So Ryan's my best friend, much to both of our chagrin. <laughs> yeah, everyone's disappointed now. The only you guys better- are best friends. No one's best friends with me. The only better than a grin is a chagrin. Remember that. We will be taking a little break from watching movies next week to do something very, very special. Do 
I don't know if I want to. Then why did you spoil? Like, why would you so start weird. down that road? Or, or at least like pause a little bit and then move on. Like were we supposed but to, to jump? Yeah, in but to like pause and just say you, nothing. You could. I'm gonna pause you for dramatic jump. effect, but give you no more say information. Say it or don't say it, dog. Like I'll cut it out of the episode if I need to. But just say what say what you're gonna say, honey. Let him know. Let him know. I th- I think you should Greg let him know. Gets another point for that. Trying to Crap. school marm me, Greg. Darn it. Motherfuckers, it's 10 years of pop filter and we're doing fun shows all season. Keep watching those movies.